Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at osbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. It's just gone midday here on Ausbiz Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company for the next hour on the call. 10 stocks that you suggest. I put them to an expert panel for adjudication. I chuck in a bonus stock of the day, something that's in the news and uh, all done in 60 minutes. It's rapid fire. It's a lot of fun. And today the panel, uh, one of our, our really great panels because you get investing is all about having different views and approaching share market investing in the markets in a different way and uh, these two blokes while uh, while different um, have very similar philosophies but look at different areas of the market in their investment decision making which is what i love because we get a lot of angles covered here i'm speaking of uh, howard coleman from team invest howard great to have your company and Gary oh, Glover from Novus Capital. Gary, good to have you aboard as well. Um, I always run out of time with you too, so we're going to get right into it, not waste a second of it, because we've got a bit to get through and some really good stocks to have a look at. And I chose the stock of the day today as James Hardy, um, the big building materials um, uh, group multinational. This morning, raising its four-year profit guidance, counting on the ongoing housing boom in the US to keep growing, now sees full-year income between 550 and 590 million US dollars. Company also giving CapEx guidance of between 250 and 350 million in US dollars over the next three years. This is, as it reports, a 50% surge in first quarter earnings um, with our first half earnings. Uh, with sales jumping as shortage of materials and labour pushed up prices, boosting margins. Despite the bumper result, the board has flagged there will be no dividend reinvestment plan in operation for fiscal 2021. Um, Howard, what do you think of the, the James Hardy result and, uh, and also the stock? Yeah, it was a fantastic result. I mean, there's clearly a building boom going on in terms of prices as well as in terms of volume. And there's nothing that's better for any business than an ability to increase prices because there's a shortage of what you're selling. And we're seeing that with some of the companies in our tip group at the moment as well, where they're able to raise prices because there's a shortage and people badly want their products. So a, a marvellous result. Their guidance for the year is about double the profits of the previous year. They've had one quarter of the new year, which is excellent. 
but it is on a particularly high PE ratio at the moment. So return on equity looks good. Their debt levels are a bit higher than we require to count a company as a potential wealth winner, but it is coming down. The last three years in a row, their debt levels have come down, now only slightly above our filters, so they may pass um, at the end of this financial year. And earnings are growing. The only thing, as I say, is PE is high, and the time to buy a cyclical stock, one connected to the housing industry like this, is when the cycle's down, when everybody's talking about doom and gloom in housing construction, and the reverse is happening now, particularly in the US where it's going gangbusters. So um, uh, I would say, great company, looks good, price a bit too high, um, wait for bad news in the building industry, and that's the time to be buying it. Okay. Now, this time last year was a better time. Sure. Uh, Gary? Yeah, no, I'm probably similar to Howard there, actually. I think, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, great result there. Um, I mean, the sector's in on fire at the moment, which is positive for the whole group. Obviously, Brickworks reported yesterday, even though they sort of suggested that um, uh, brick sales were off 50% since the lockdown, but the EBIT was up 35% for the year, which is sort of cracking for the sector. So I think you'll see um, most of the stocks across the sector will be pretty robust. I'm, I'm along a few, Adbury. Uh, that's probably one of my larger holdings there, so that's good for that sector with that stock as well but how's right just getting a bit pricey here um look the plus there I think it's funny that the brokers have actually got this one right here i think um there were sort of seven strong buys two two moderate buys two holds and two strong sells so in this case uh, most brokers were um were pretty bullish the sector which is positive it does it is expected to grow earnings next year which is sort of what most companies have sort of uh, most analysts are probably looking for a tapering off whereas james hardy just because of that uh, us growth there, expecting it to be a, a stronger year next year as well. So that's probably the plus there. So it probably goes a little higher here, but it is pretty pricey. Um, stock will probably just grow slightly higher. Okay, so if you've held it and you bought it even six months ago uh, and you bought around 30 bucks, if you look at the one one year chart, would yep. would you, is this the peak of the market? Would you, would you sell at these levels or or do you hold if you're an existing shareholder, Gary? You're getting close there. I, I actually did square a few ranges out in the stock there. And I noticed at uh, 52.50 and 54 dollars, a couple of big sort of technical levels where they might be able to get to on this run here. But yeah, it, it, it depends on your style. Yeah, you know, for me personally, right. if I'm, um, I, I'm probably slightly more active than um, than Howard. Um, so if, if it got up a little bit higher there, up towards 52.50, maybe 54 dollars, then yeah, I might, I might look to lighten off sort of some of those or, or all of those, you know. Okay. Oftentimes you might lighten off some of those and look, look to buy them back when they pull back. Right. Howard? No, we wouldn't. I mean, I always liken it to seeing as we're all AFL supporters here, I can talk about it. I always <laughs> like it saying if you've had a player who's just had a dozen fantastic games in a row, terrific number of possessions, lots of tackles, great accuracy of all their passes, um, and you decide, oh, well, he's obviously passed his best. I'll get rid of him and, and, and get somebody else who isn't doing as well. Um, you know, companies are run by people. And if people perform exceptionally well, it's a good predictor that they're likely to perform exceptionally well in the future. Now, obviously, in footy, eventually you get old and you can't perform. <laughs> but that doesn't really apply that quickly in business. So um, all the evidence shows that people who hold on to genuine winners. Now, when I say winners, I don't mean the share price is going up 
I mean, the share price is going up because the earnings are going up, um, do better in the long term than people who chop and change. And perhaps the reason is if you bought at, say, 30 and you sell at, say, 50, um, the next time the share price drops to 40, you're disinclined to buy because you say, last time I bought it at 30, and you're waiting for it to get to 30 again, which, of course, it doesn't do because the earnings have gone up. So it, it, you, you tend to do better by sticking with the companies you know really, really well yeah. and adding to them every time their share price gets cheap. Yep. Okay. Good advice from both of you there. Let's get into the uh, stocks people want us to have a look at. And um, Gary Dale wants a view on Rio Tinto, the uh, the big mining giant has been riding the iron ore boom in its share price like they all have uh, up until about the last two weeks or so and uh, is looking a bit weaker as the iron ore price comes down. Yeah, I mean, look, the commodities, uh, if you look at the UBS Commodities Index, which is, I think, basket of 27 um, commodities there, you see that uh, that index is up about 50% in the last 18 months. So, um, so people talking about this being a super cycle. I think it's already been a super cycle already, so already had a massive move there. I, I just It just feels like top of the cycle uh, to me in a lot of these commodities. So not only is iron ore starting to come off, we're seeing the oil price, gold price sort of come off, the basket's looking a little vulnerable as well. So, mm. um, yeah, I just see massive risk to the downside here. I think the inflation trade's already played out. Um, the commodity yeah, cycle has run here. Just, I mean, everyone was looking for a V-shaped recovery um, economically here. Now, that's probably a little bit in question now as to whether mm. this Delta variant's going to slow things down in the future. So just feels like, um, yeah, just feels top, top of the cycle here. So just definitely some risk here. Um, I know the stock's cooled a bit there. It's going to pay a massive dividend here. Um, it goes X in a couple of days' time, so I probably wouldn't be selling it because there's a $7.60 dividend coming, 100% franc. So, but I think if the stock sort of bounced back here post that, I think it's just you just got some risk to the downside here. So it's definitely not a buy for me. Definitely. Okay. Howard? Yeah, um, as you know, David, um, we're never keen on commodity companies because they have cycles. Yeah. And uh, but if you do want to buy, so I wouldn't own a company like Rio and Team Invest members generally wouldn't. Um, however, if you do want to buy a company like Rio, the time to be buying it is when the iron ore price is low, because when the iron ore price is low and everybody's talking about there being so much supply in the world and not enough demand and economies aren't going that well and iron ore is $70 a ton or something, that's the time when you make real money by buying into these commodity producers. When the iron ore price is at record highs, as it was a couple of months ago, or near record highs as it is now, that's not the time to be buying because, as Gary says, there's considerably more risk to the downside than the upside. Almost certainly, uh, over the next year or two, you'd be prepared to, if you had to bet, I'm not a betting man, but if you had to bet, the iron ore price is much more likely to be lower than higher. Um, there's new production being developed in Mongolia and Kazakhstan by the Chinese uh, in both areas as well as West Africa. So when prices are this high, new mines get developed and then prices come down. So not the time on Rio for, for me or anybody in Team Invest. We would want to buy it now. Okay. So it's very similar to what you've been saying with James Hardy as well. Absolutely. It's cyclical with the building boom. Yeah. Well, what's an example of a sector that isn't cyclical? 
because you could say banks are cyclical with the economy and all that sort of stuff. What gives you an idea? Would it be a REIT or something like that? Uh, not necessarily, but if you look at a company like Technology One, which um, you know sells um, enterprise software to companies, um, once the company's got the enterprise software for running oh, right. the yep. education or whatever, that they really tend to go away. So every time they sell a new one, a new education department or school or whatever, or, or health department buys their software, their earnings go up. Um, another one that's uh, less cyclical would be uh, something like a, a, a JB Hi-Fi that we're going to talk about a little later in the program. It has a little bit of cyclicality, but year by year, retail sales tend to grow a little bit, not much, um, but the best retailers grow faster than the average, and the worst retailers go broke. Right. So if, if retail sales are growing at, say, 3%, you'd expect them to grow at more than 3 um, and you'd expect a few of their competitors to cease to exist. So right. um, two sectors that are particularly cyclical are building, James Hardy type, and mining. They're the right. two most cyclical sectors of the lot. Okay. All right. Um, Gary, uh, Anish wants a view on uh, Brickworks. You talked about it um, uh, a bit earlier in regard to James Hardy. Um, they, of course, are in the business of making bricks here in Australia and also in the US, but their, their big gold miners being turning those quarries into, uh, um, into develop, building development sites, haven't they, which they, they have a deal with Goodman. Um, what do you think of uh, Brickworks? Yes, I mean, look, obviously a very good result there. It's, it's, um, look, it's difficult here because obviously the price is getting pretty pricey up here, but um, you know, with that EBIT number up, 35% for the year. Um, that, that just sort of shows you the, the, the construction sort of housing um, sort of boom there. So it's obviously great for this business. I think that's going to last a little longer here. So um, so I think we'll probably hang on a bit longer, but they're just not, they're not cheap here. Um, but, um, and obviously we've got, you know, these lockdowns here, I think they're, they're suggesting that um, brick sales are off sort of 50% since we've had the lockdowns, but yeah. obviously we'll, Hopefully, come out of those soon. But um, but yeah, it does look. Company's trading pretty well. I think this is going to last a bit longer here. It's, it's probably a bit of a hold for me. I'm probably not not a compelling price here. I'm I'm long sort of ABC. I've sort of bought some here under 360, and um, I think that's got a bit more upside potential. But um, but yeah, I'd probably be holding them if I was right. here. I think there's a bit more upside, but probably sort of limited. Just to the pricing is getting a little pricey. Okay. Um, Howard, what do you think of Brickworks? And Brickworks is in this this group, isn't it, with Washington H Sol Patents, and they have cross shareholdings. And Sol Pats is now merging with Milton, which is the the investment company that's in that troika as well. Um, first of all, what do you think of the Brickworks result and the share price? But will it be affected by this merger between Sol Pats and Milton? No, I don't think it'll be all that much affected, although it's quite possible in the longer term they'll merge uh, themselves into Soul Pats as well. Right. I mean, there's a lot of uh, similar directors. Robert Milner's the chairman of Brickworks uh, as well. I mean, this is a board that really looks after shareholders. They're very, very focused on preserving and maintaining shareholder money and gradually increasing it over the years. Now, they've moved into the US where they're growth uh, possibilities are much larger than in Australia. 
and also where there's less um, uh, problems of dealing with bureaucracy. It's much easier in the US than it is here. Obviously, at the moment, with not a lot of building going on in um, New South Wales particularly, it's hurt them a bit, as they've mentioned, but that's a temporary thing. You know, as soon as all the builders are back at work full time, hopefully by the end of the year, everybody will be back at work. Um, there'll be a huge building boom again as all the uh, housing that was slowed down uh, gets built again. So, um, you know, it's brought the price off the top a bit. And compared to James Hardy, it's relatively, and I only use the term relatively cheap, because it's on a P of about 28, so approximately half James Hardy. However, 28 for Brickworks is high. When you look at the historic PE ratio, you've almost always been able to buy it. In fact, in, I'm looking across 10 years. In every one of the 10 years, you could have bought it at a, a, a PE quite comfortably in the 12 to 15 range, occasionally much lower than that. So to be paying a 27 PE is pretty high for it. Yes, interest rates are very low at the moment, so maybe you pay a bit more than 12 to 15. Maybe you pay low 20s. But 27 or 28, um, high PE, great company, fantastic board, it really looks after their shareholders, but uh, like so many other companies at the moment, a bit pricey. Right, okay. All right, so uh, a no there on Brickworks. Um, Howard, Darrell wants a view on Bizaloy Steel Group. Now, Darrell says, I'm newly retired and a long-term investor with my own self-managed super fund. Could you please get the panel to, to look at BIS? the supplier of quenched and tempered steels. It's in high tensile um, um, steel, um, supplies, steel to mining, construction, transport and energy and subsidiaries in Dubai, China, Thailand and Indonesia. Um, what do you think, Howard, Bizaloy Steel? This is a beautifully interesting case of when you have an exceptionally well-run company even though it's in an industry that shouldn't be competitive because there's steelworks that operate in jurisdictions that are much cheaper than Australia. I know they've got some outside Australia, but they've got one here as well, um, that have labour costs much, much lower than we have. Now, I'm not recommending lower labour costs. I'm just saying um, we live in a world uh, or society here that has chosen to have high labour costs, which has advantages, but not advantages for companies that are competing internationally. They're competing internationally, but they're doing it so well that they've had return on equity for the last three years of more than 10%. Before that, it wasn't that high. Um, their earnings are growing quite nicely, around about 20-odd uh, percent a year for the last few years, and um, their debt levels are quite low. So all of that looks very positive indeed. And what's more, it's on a PE ratio of only 7.8. Now, yes, mining's been booming, construction's been booming, that's probably helping them, but it's been helping them while at the same time their PE is so low that this would certainly be one worth looking at. Now, it's not a company I follow. It's not a company we've ever discussed in Team Invest because it would only have passed our filters for the first time last year uh, wow. by having three years in a row of high return on equity as the minimum. But um, certainly, um, it looks interesting enough that I'm going to spend a bit more time looking at it okay. um, because it looks like it could be that well run that it could be a potential wealth winner. Okay. All right. Gary? Yeah, look, I um, kind of agree with Howard. The, the numbers do look pretty good. The, the real negative here is probably two things. Is that the, the market cap is 60 mil, so it's, it's pretty small. Um, 
and liquidity as well is is really light. So today we've traded four thousand shares, dollar uh, right. thirty. So that's it. So you just got, got a small market cap, uh, very very uh, not very liquid trading wise. So that's that's the sort of that's the downside there. But look, everything else looks okay. I know sort of steel construction sectors on a bit of a run. So that's that's positive for them. Um, but yeah, look, it's, it's probably a bit more investigation in there, but probably just the liquidity issues probably makes it a little tough there to, um, to be able to trade this one or be, be able okay. to get in and out. All right. Uh, and the issue is for, for those people that uh, probably don't understand that rationale is that if if there aren't that many shares being traded, when you buy in, you've got the uh, the possibility of shooting the, the share price out. And if you want to get out, and because it's out of favour with the market, it can be really hard to get out, Gary, is that sort of the... That's right, yeah. You, with you guys call there, them you, lobster pots. Um, hard yeah, to get in, hard to get out. Yeah, you want to take a big position. You want to be sort of smaller posse, but, you know, if yeah. you're going to take a posse. Okay. Yeah, once, once, you, once you're in, you've got to be very convinced before you go in that you want to be in it for a long time because getting out's tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gary, Anthony wants a view on JB Hi-Fi. Anthony says, I'm a young investor. Is this a stock I could invest for the long term? If so, what would be a good price to buy at JB Hi-Fi? Of course, the uh, the big retailer that's uh, been a bit of a darling in COVID. And I read a report, Gary, that per metre of trading floor, it has the highest volumes of any retailer in the world. When you're going to JB Hi-Fi, it's everything stacked in and that's the reason why <laughs> yeah i think if you if you walk into a jb hi-fi store or if you walked in there maybe a year ago um yeah you, you know exactly what we're talking about there so yep. it's usually um a lot of people in the store lots of young people helping them out and um yep. yeah so it has been a great retail there just look i think most most of broker valves are probably sitting around the current price and maybe there's a couple slightly higher there but um look it's obviously had a great you know had a great sort of couple of years there. I just think it's sort of priced for um, perfection here. And, um, but yeah, so I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still nervous about this model here longer term. I just sort of starting to see some of the um, consumers are starting to deal with um, um, supplies directly now. You can basically, because they're obviously getting websites down. I know, look, Toby Hyphen's got a great brand, great business, well run. So I, I like that. But I just, just see maybe some of the business getting done because um, on, on the online platform is so much easier now, getting yeah. more competitive, but also being able to deal directly with with some mates, some suppliers as well. So I just worry about the model there, but look, still a great business. Probably just not this price here. I'd probably be, for me, be probably in the low 40s um, is where I might be looking at. Right. Okay. Howard? Yeah. Um, interestingly, JB Hi-Fi um, sells an enormous amount online. Their online business is going gangbusters. And um, they, they really aimed at two different kind of uh, buyers. The buyer who goes online knows exactly what they want. They go online, they buy it, and JB Hi-File supply it to them at the same price that anybody else would or cheaper uh, because they've got lower overhead. So they do well online. Um, why these stores do so well is they mainly aimed at the demographic and uh, often not all that young, that needs a little bit of advice as well. So they advertise something on TV, sounds like a terrific bargain. You go in to buy something and their salespeople are exceptionally well-trained 
for the kind of business they're in, which means that in all probability, when you go in there, you come out with having bought a more expensive version, which is better than the one you originally came in to buy, and it's got better margins um, for JB. Or alternatively, you come out having bought several items while you're at it instead of just one because their salespeople are so well trained. So their shops are relatively cheap. They're never at the most expensive point in the shopping centre. They're usually in one of the cheaper rentals in the shopping centre. And as you so well said, David, it's very cramped in there. They sell a lot per square metre, which makes the economics good. So very well-run business. The concern always in retail with a well-run business like this is will the same management who's running it well always be there? Now, while they largely have the same management, their CEOs left recently, but the rest of them are the same, um, it looks good. And in fact, in terms of its PE, it's relatively cheap. It's at about the 30th percentile of its PE ratio over the past four years. Now, almost everything at the moment on the markets up in the 70th and 80th, 90th percentile. So they are relatively cheap for the earnings they're generating compared to the past. So to a young viewer, I'd say, yes, if you're prepared to be in it a long time, you'll probably do well in it. But if there's wholesale management changes at any stage, that's probably the time to get out. Okay. All right. Great advice there. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Anthony. Also, if you're looking for retailers you can relate to, Accent Group came up. Uh, yesterday as well. That's a well-run retail group. They own uh, things like Foot, Foot Locker, um, Doc Martens, Vans, that sort of thing. They um, um, And they got a good rap from, uh, from Rob and David yesterday. So um, good on you. Thanks for sending in that suggestion. Um, Rob wants a view, um, Howard, on uh, John's Ling. Um, Rob says, I bought this stock uh, in July last year for $2.33. It's risen since then to around $5.50. In fact, its share price has risen 33% the last month. Appreciate hearing the uh, the prospects, whether Howard thinks it's a, a wealth winner over the next three to five years. John's Link, an interesting um, property company, is it, or, or building company, Howard, because it sort of focuses more in the insurance remediation Type market. It's it's customers or insurance companies that are getting uh, hiring John's Ling to go and fix up uh, faults in uh, in properties they insure. Yeah, in fact, I know it well because when I flew my car through the back wall of my garage ah, right. and yep. demolishing it and landed on my tennis court five levels below, but like driving out of a parking lot and landing on the street five levels below where you went out, I'm lucky to be alive. James Ling were the people who came and repaired my garage, the damage to lower levels of my house that I did on the way down, my tennis court fence, uh, and, and various other things. And um, we were insured with Amy, one of the insurance companies, and they got John's Ling in. We found them outstandingly good to deal with. Now, as a listed company, they've, which, by the way, is always a good sign, as a listed company, they've only been listed for three years. So in answer to the, the, the viewer, Rob, it's too early for us to say that we feel confident it's a wealth winner, but it's certainly got all the right signs. It's had very high return on equity three years in a row. It's achieved that with relatively low debt. 
Um, its earnings per share been growing very nicely. Um, at the moment, it's on a pretty high PE of about 71, but just about to report, so that PE will probably drop. So I wouldn't necessarily be buying any more now, Rob, but it certainly has the makings of a long-term wealth winner. Just a little early to tell. So seeing as you bought at a good price and a good PE, I would keep, go back, have a look at what the PE was when you bought it, and any time it gets back down there again, buy some more um, mm. in that same sort of range. But I wouldn't be adding to it now. And just keep an eye on it over the next year or two until it fully proves itself. But seeing as their main customers are insurance companies, and there are always people having damage to their homes, you know, we have bushfires, floods, uh, people do stupid things like fly their car through the back wall of their garage. Um, <laughs> you know, you can always trust uh, humans to do some pretty dumb things that they need insurance for. So uh, as long as that remains their business model, the chances are they should do pretty well. Yeah. It's a great niche, isn't it, Rob? $2.33 to around six sixty at the moment. Uh, Gary, what do you think of John Zing? Uh, yeah, it's that's funny. A, it's an impressive uh, tall bunch chart, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's amazing, amazing, actually. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. So I've actually heard quite a few stories about John Ling, actually, and, and positive experiences as well. So... Obviously, they're doing something from a customer service point of view, um, which which is fantastic for them. The, the issue there, as Howard's saying, the PE is pretty pretty high here. But just looking at the chart here, the movement there, the, the stock's basically uh, almost it's almost sort of getting vertical here. So it's just getting a, a little ahead itself. It, it has been it is a bit of a ramp up story as well. So they have been um, doing these sort of small bolt on acquisitions. So earnings are sort of going to go up there because they're sort of buying buying yeah sort of sort of small um restoration sort of um construction companies as well so yep. so sometimes those sort of scale up stories can come with risk there obviously if you're buying too much there but so far they seem to be sort of these are sort of smaller sort of acquisitions not really bigger ones but um just something to be mindful of but yeah i definitely wouldn't be chasing it here i, I just to me look i mean the share price has gone from under four dollars here um to almost what 630 here just in the last yeah. um eight, 10 weeks. So that's a hell of a move. So I'd just be, I wouldn't be chasing it here. If, if the view is sort of long there, then well done. Um, um, I'd definitely probably stay with it, but it's probably, I'd be, along with Howard there, probably, you probably want to see it cool off a little bit here. Um, yeah, see how it reports as well. But it's just, it is a scale up story. So it's just something to be wary of um, and very pricey as well. Okay. All right. So I'll hold there. Um, from uh, both Gary and Howard. Let's just recap the first five stocks and our stock of the day, James Hardy. Uh, a no from both Howard and Gary because it's a cyclical stock that's really zoomed up um, lately. If there's a, a decent size uh, downturn in the building industry or the share market, it's one of those stocks that you put on your list to get when it's out of favour, not when it's a darling of the market right now. Uh, a Rio, Rio, a no from both. Brickworks, a hold uh, from Gary, a no from, uh, from Howard. Bizaloy, um, on the watch list of both of them, looks quite interesting. They're going to do a bit more work on it, but uh, pretty impressed with the numbers. Uh, JB Hi-Fi, uh, for a young investor, in there for the long term. Uh, a yes from Howard. Uh, Gary loves the business. But um, if it got do down to the low $40 mark, then he'd be more interested. And John's Ling, a, uh, a hold from both. Um, 
here on uh, the call, we've uh, been following our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. Any stocks that gets two thumbs up from our expert panel on any day goes into the portfolio. So let's check how we've been doing for the week, down just 0.1% for the month up to 0.44% and since the 1st of July uh, last month, uh, up over just 2%. If we take a look at some of the stocks that have recently been added to the portfolio, uh, BHP, Nick Scarly, Sydney Airport, Osco Healthcare and Appen. Uh, some of the stocks removed, Evolution Mining, Premium and McMahon. If you want to take a look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. All right, let's uh, go on to the second half of, uh, of the call and our sixth stock. Um, Gary Kyle wants a view on Linus Rare Earths, the big Rare Earths um, miner. Uh, rare Earths, uh, if you look at things on the periodic table, all the science geeks would, would know them, uh, but they're the, the metals that are used in in computer technology and mobile phones and also in the defence industries and often um, criticised because rare earths aren't very rare. Uh, the problem is most of them are mined in China and now with the tensions with China, the West is looking at alternative producers of rare earths and, and we have quite a few miners and Gary Linus is the biggest of the one here in Australia. Yeah, look, I mean, the share price has uh, had an amazing run. Obviously, the um, I, I saw that fourth quarter rev, um, sales revenue numbers are up quite strongly. So um, it's tipped to sort of grow again um, next year again, I think, you know, 74%. So everyone's sort of um, got some pretty strong growth numbers there. It's just, oh, just it's had an incredible run here, David. I just can't, um, don't like buying things when they're, when they're vertical or, you know, I mean, we've basically gone from a dollar in March 2020 to what seven seven eighty here seven sixty so getting <coughs> it's getting getting a bit pricey so yeah just I probably avoid for me just because it's um too risky yep yep um, <coughs> how would they um, they mine here in Australia and process in Malaysia because of um, they have less stringent environmental. Uh, regulations in Malaysia because I didn't realise when you process rare earths, it produces some pretty, pretty nasty waste. Um, but apparently they're 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 building a processing plant for a first stage here in Australia and then a more advanced one in the US to, because the US government is backing them for that strategic supply of rare earths. Yeah, the interesting thing is when I was doing physics at university, they weren't called rare earths; they were called rarely mined earths or rarely oh. mined elements. Oh. And what they meant by rarely mined is they weren't mined simply because there wasn't really much use for them. Um, there was plenty of them in the earth's surface, but if you found any, what the hell were you going to do with it? Um, then, of course, um, as you mentioned, the sort of reasons why they were needed, they started being needed because they were dirty and pollutants in the processing. Um, they tended to be mainly mined in China, um, but more important is not what they are, but what this is, because you're investing not in the rare earths, you're investing in Linus if you buy them. And this is a company that's been around for a very, very long time, uh, at least 20 years. And in the last 10 years, the 10 that I can see on my software, 
it's only twice made a profit. The other eight years, it's made a loss. Now, I remember being on uh, various TV channels uh, going back more than 10 years and getting phone calls about Linus, and it was always going to do wonderfully well. And somehow or other, that wonderfully well gets put off year after year after year after year. And one day, somebody who is better at running a mining and processing company will develop a large competitor to them somewhere in the world where there's plenty of the minerals anyway, and that'll be even worse for them. So, you know, never mind what a company does, whatever it does, if it does it badly and can only make a profit two years out of 10, our team invest members would say, why are we even bothering discussing it? Uh, put it aside. We want to be investing in companies that are well run. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Kyle. Um, uh, Connell uh, wants to view uh, Howard on Latitude, the financial services uh, group. It hasn't been listed that long. It was only last year, I think, or the year before after a couple of tries. Uh, over the last couple of days, um, has um, gone into an acquisition of simple loans for $200 million in shares and cash. Uh, what do you think of uh, Latitude? Yeah, too newly listed to be able to form any opinion on it. You know, you don't really know how well run a business is until you've got a fair amount of history. Now, obviously, there was history given in the prospectus, but a prospectus is a marketing document designed to paint the truth in the most positive way possible. You can't put any lies in, but you certainly want to make sure that it's as optimistically presented as you can legally get away with because after all, it's a marketing document. So far too new um, for us to express an opinion on. Um, you know, I mean, we want a company to have at least four years of listed history before we'll be uh, prepared to even discuss it in one of our team invest meetings. And in fact, uh, I'm on the board of Tip Group and it's only been listed now for just under three years. So we wouldn't even talk about Tip Group in, uh, that I'm on the board of in team invest because mm. everybody would say quite correctly, uh, too newly listed, we don't know enough about it yet. Yep. So latitude, um, know too little about it, um, and uh, it's unproven as far as we're concerned as a listed company, so no from a team invest perspective. Yep, Gary? Yes, yeah, so the 260 float <coughs> opened up um, that 296, so it opened up a bit of a premium there, but um, it's pretty much sold off sort of since. <laughs> so now, now it's a bit underwater. Um, below the um, the issue price, and what's that? That that four or five months there. Yeah. For me, it's um, this sort of consumer lending, personal loan industry. Oh, mate, that's a super super competitive at the moment. There's um, there's a fintech fintech born every minute. They're um, offering similar <laughs> sort of service. Um, just a lot of competitors there. So you know, lo lo when, when a lot of competitors, margins get sort of squeezed as well. So I. Just can't get excited by this one, actually. So, um, yeah, not for me. Took a couple of goes to get it listed as well, didn't it? It was sort of a, a year yeah. or two to, um, to to get off the market. Armoured um, for Hoare, of course, is, uh, uh, is the MD of it, the, uh, the ex-boss of Australia Post. So. You've got so many payment companies on, on, you know, the banks, fintechs. Yeah. There's, oh, you know, there's just such, such a super competitive industry now, um, particularly in Australia, in this sort of finance field. So... Yeah, um, money's free. Yeah, suppliers like it makes it competitive and margins get squeezed. Yep. yep. How? Yeah, 
It's just that in, the interest rates are so low that money's largely free. So what kind of business is it easy to start? A business that borrows money for next to nothing and lends it out to other people for more than next to nothing. As soon as interest rates rise, most of these companies will be proven to have uh, business models that don't work. And they'll, you know, I wouldn't say they'll all, most of them will collapse in a heap. One or two of them may uh, survive right. uh, and they'll go on perhaps being the, to being the successful companies and the rest of them will cease to exist. Okay. All right. Let's get on to uh, uh, Nikki wants a view, uh, uh, Gary, on QBE insurance. Now, you talk about uh, James Hardy being at the top of the cycle. You talk about commodity companies being at the top of the cycle and you buy them at the bottom. Well, these general insurance companies have been horrible for about two or three years, haven't they? Um, is this the time to buy them? Yeah, no, you're right, David. I mean, uh, if you look at actually the QBE's history, I think um, had like, you know, 11, 12 positive, 13 negative in its earnings, and then 14, 15, 16 positive, three years, then a negative year, and then another two years positive, another negative. So you sort of got that cycle there. You've yep. just had a negative year in 20, so we've probably got at least two or three years of positive returns before you get another negative year based on how these insurers <laughs> trade. But um, definite sort of bottom of the cycle for me. Uh, we saw the Suncorp result was obviously a great one. It's a little bit like the health insurers there. We're not The claims are obviously low at the moment. Um, so business looked pretty good. I, I'm actually, I mean, QBE has already had a pretty decent run. Yeah. I'm actually I've, I've, I'm actually long IAG. That's probably one of the biggest holdings in my uh, model portfolio at the moment, just because I think there's a bit more value there. And yeah. um, so but the sector does look pretty good. QBE has just probably run a little, a little hot already, but... Um, I do like uh, the insurers here just because they're underpaid, and also I like them because if we do get a little bit of inflation here, then if rates go higher, then that's going to be a, a plus as well. So it gives you a bit of a hedge in your portfolio if the inflation trade does grow. But uh, I'm not sure that's going to happen here. But um, but yeah, I do like the sector there. But I think IAG is definitely my pick there. That's one that I'm you know it's okay. kind of one of my largest currently. Uh, Howard. Yeah, you always want to be in the best business in the field. And while insurance is supposedly cyclical, and it makes sense that it ought to be cyclical, we don't have floods and fires every year, but um, each year we have bushfires or floods tends to be bad for insurance companies. But Berkshire Hathaway is a very big insurance company. That's how it makes a large proportion of its money. And Berkshire Hathaway if you put the same amount of money into Berkshire Hathaway, let's say you put $10,000, keeping the example simple, in Berkshire Hathaway 15-odd years ago, and you put the same $10,000 into QBE, your $10,000 you put in QBE would be today worth somewhere around about uh, $4,000, I think it works out. Um, your $10,000 in Berkshire Hathaway would be worth around $50,000. So it, this is the example of where Companies with low return on equity, and they've made losses three years QBE out of 10, and the seven years they made profits, their return on equity was pretty measly, abysmal. You know, uh, the highest was 7.4. Oh, sorry, no, there was an 8.2, but most of them are in the sixes. Um, and they've got some debt. Berkshire Hathaway's got a huge amount of cash on their balance sheet. They don't have any debt. Um, it's just not a business that's ever proved anything like a wealth winner. And, and I speak from personal experience because in the early days of me running my own investments, I bought QBE 
And it was a capital killer for me in that it halved in price over about eight or nine years. And eventually I got sick of it and got rid of it. So um, not a business I could get enthused about because it just doesn't do what it does very well. Right. Um, but the sector is a sector, one of those sectors at the moment that is that is down and in that cyclical. And uh, for example, we're, you know, Gary thinks IAG is a better run company. Yeah, I think it is, but I don't, wouldn't get enthused about it either. Warren Buffett often says that most insurance companies are really badly run. And his point is that they, they, there are really two ways an insurance company makes money. Number one, from paying out less in claims than they get in premiums. That's the obvious. And the yeah. second one is from investing the float. But most insurance companies regard it as we lost if a competitor quotes a lower price than them and gets the premium. So now, if you are always thinking you've won when you quote less on insurance, insuring something, um, you're pretty likely to make losses pretty often because you think winning is being cheaper. And that's what insurance companies do. They keep thinking they've won when they underquote another insurance company. Now, perhaps the other insurance company was right in that the risk was higher. Uh -huh. So um, it just it, it creates the wrong uh, attitudes within the company. And they're always looking to underquote their competitors, which means they usually lose yeah. money on the insurance premiums and try to make it up on the float. The trouble is interest rates are so low that they can't make it up on the float. Now, at the times of high interest rates, they can get away with it. So you can be a badly run insurance company when interest rates are high because you make up your losses on the money that you make out of the high interest rates in holding the float. Yeah. But now with interest rates low, uh, it's Buffett's beautiful expression of, um, you know, it, it, you can see who's swimming naked only when the tide goes out. So when interest rates are low, the tide's gone out and we can see all the insurance companies swimming naked. Yeah, okay, all right. And um, he, ha he has uh, bought a few insurance companies in his timeline, Buffett. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he has bought yeah, quite well, a few insurance companies. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Buffett runs them well. They, they all make a profit out of the insurance not only out of the float. And of course, he uses the float exceptionally well. So the combination of brilliant investing of the float and owning some of the biggest insurance companies in the US, including one general insurance, very large general insurance company, which I think is the second biggest in the US, um, they're very profitable. But most insurance companies don't run that way. Yeah, yeah. All right, Oscar wants a view where Gary on Red 5, the... Uh, Australian-based gold producer in uh, the eastern gold fields of Western Australia and also in the Philippines. What do you think of Red Five? Uh, I'm just I'm a bit sort of lukewarm on um, on gold here. I, I see that um, this this company here. I think most of the brokers have sort of got some higher targets. I think Morgan's have got like a 33 cent valuation and Canaccord 35. Um, look, they're in the sort of Philippines and Australia. 434 mil market cap, so kind of that mid-tier. That's kind of their their plan is to be a mid-tier gold producer by 2022. Um, got a bit of cash in the bank, I think 49 mil, so that's that's good. So don't have to raise equity, which is always a plus. But um, it looks looks okay, but not not for me, not for yep. me. Okay, Howard. Yeah, don't know it, but like Gary, I'm not excited about it. It's only made a profit once 
in 10 years, which was this year, and it's not a very big profit either, but it's been certainly mining its shareholders very effectively. It had 132 million shares 10 years ago. It's now got over 2 billion shares. In fact, it's had a capital raising about every second year by the looks of it, uh, uh, by looking at the number of shares. So, um, you know, uh, very hard to see how this will ever be a wealth winner for shareholders. So a, a no from me, but I don't know anything really about the company other than it's got a couple of mines and says it's going to eventually do well. Yeah. Um, Gary, you're saying you're not, you're not sort of bullish on the gold price. It's had a bit of a slide over the last week or so as well. Um, with all this talk of inflation coming back, sort of I thought when inflation goes up, the gold price goes up, but no, that's, that's yeah, people not have this um, misconception. Also, they, they, they use it as a hedge on market as well. Oftentimes, yeah. people think, oh, if the market's going to have a bit of a pullback, I want to be long some gold there. But, but if you actually go back and look at these correlations there, they, they're actually not, <laughs> the, the correlations don't exist. They're actually, ah. in, uh, you'll find actually that a lot, a lot the, the gold stocks actually tend to follow the market all the time. And even if the market did pull back and the gold price remained firm, that the gold stocks would actually end up following the market down. Um, so, yeah, I think you've just sort of, you know, I think you've got to buy them out of favour. Um, right. So they're getting getting a bit out of favour now. Probably, I think they'll probably get slightly more out of favour. Right. Um, but I just view the commodities basket as, <clears throat> you know, I think you've got to kind of try and find the commodity which is probably most out of favour um, and not buying the ones that are in favour. We've just seen, you know, iron ore was, you know, or the flavour of the month there, month ago, and now it's, now it's turned very negative. Yeah. Um, the price was on its knees a year ago. Now it's recovered, um, but now they're starting to cool off. So you, you really should be looking to try and find the commodity which is probably out of favour, a, a little bit ugly there, um, a bit unloved. That's probably the time you look at these things. Mm. But they're more they're more typical as sort of how it's in, inferred earlier, which is they, they have their swings up and down. And yeah. Um, yeah, apart from the sort of big mining booms or the big commodity booms. They're usually range-bound stocks that sort of probably go nowhere. So you really need to be buying bottom of the range. Sure. Okay. Interesting uh, thing on the stock price, uh, just very quickly, David, is in 1979, I still lived in South Africa, and the gold price hit 880 US dollars <laughs> an ounce. So it's roughly doubled, slightly more than doubled since then. Now, at the same time in South Africa, I bought a Mercedes-Benz in US dollar terms for about brand new Mercedes, top of the range Mercedes for about 4,000 US dollars. Now that would be, I don't know, 150, $200,000 today. And I could give you other comparisons. So gold is not a good hedge against inflation. It's yeah. only a story that was invented by gold miners to sell gold stocks <laughs> to people. That's a good hedge against inflation. <laughs> All right, that's a very good analogy. All right, our last stock, uh, Gary, Zach wants a view on HomeCo Daily. Um, it's a real estate investment trust, but is uh, very much into the uh, big box um, shopping centres, huh? the sort of like your warehouse shopping centres um, uh, in that homewares yeah. area. Recently did, uh, did an institutional placement to, uh, uh, to buy another one, the, uh, the town centre. Um, um, shopping centre in Victoria Point in Queensland. Yes, yeah, so I I, it's not one that I sort of know too well there, but I, I just sort of um, I looked at sort of the model there. Has they, it, yeah, they hasn't been listed for long, has it? No, no, it hasn't. No, and they, they 
typically look for sort of assets for um, that are in that convenience base sort of. Um, so you like you, they're more neighbourhoods. So that that Victoria Point is between roughly between Brisbane and the Gold Coast in the middle. Yep. So looking yep. for sort of growth corridors, looking for that sort of larger suburban. Um, so they typically have Woolies, Bunnings, you know, Dan Murphy's, McDonald's, yep. you know, super cheap autos. So sort of kind of got the larger retailers sort of in there. So good good um, sticky brands and stuff there. Um, aiming for about a four and a half percent yield. So probably not a bad part of the REIT here yeah. at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's not, not one that I love there. Not not big on the REITs there. Um, but um, in terms of the REITs and the se segment they're in, it's probably not a bad segment to be in in the current climate, but mm. not for me. Okay. Howard? Yeah, newly listed, so unproven. Um, can't really say much about it. I mean, it sounds like it makes sense, but all brand new companies sound like they make sense because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to list because they wouldn't have been able to persuade enough people to put money in to get them listed. So they will sound sensible when they first list. Uh, the question is, can they run it well? And there's no real history to know whether they will or won't. So um, I, I don't know anything about it to know from us. Sure. Okay. All right. Howard Coleman from Team Invest. Always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Have a good week. Pleasure. And Gary Glover from uh, Novus Capital. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, David. Good to see you. All right. Let's just recap. The, uh, the final five stocks, uh, Linus Rare Earths, um, a no from both uh, Gary and Howard. It's had uh, a stellar run, though. Uh, Latitude, a no from both. QBE, a no from both. Gary, if you're looking at the insurance sector, would prefer IAG in that market. Red 5, a no, and Homeco, a no as well. Uh, if you've got any stocks you'd like us to uh, have a look at, put them in an email to us. The call at ausbiz.com today or tweet us using the at TV handle. And a reminder, if you want to look at all the stocks in the calls portfolio, ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.